You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. And if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them up to 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16, as Robbie mentioned last week, um, I'm wrapping up our series Conviction Amidst Compromise. And I know what you're thinking. Didn't we listen to Samuel's farewell address last week? Why are you here? That's, that's probably what you're thinking, which I totally get. Um, well, uh, the, the story's not over. The story goes on and on and on. But, but immediately after this, very soon after this, King Saul, who many of you will remember that Samuel had anointed, um, he made some bad choices. Things went from bad to worse. He is spiraling out of control really quickly. And so as much as Samuel might have wanted to farewell and, and, and step out into a little bit of a retirement. He, he was going to uh, train some young prophets, and, and that's what he did. But he, he had to kind of come back a little bit, and he had to come back to give a hard word. In chapter 15, which I would encourage you to read at another time, God used Samuel to go to Saul and say, there are some people who have been rebellious against me, and they have uh, been an affront to all of the things that are glory to me, and they have to be punished. And, and so... He, God, through Samuel, sends Saul to go and execute judgment on these people. Not an easy thing, but it was what God commanded. And Saul did not obey. Saul did not obey at all. And so Samuel has to come along and he has to interject and he has to say, hey, God gave you a command and you now disobey. Now, just a side note before we move too far. It is always a bad plan to disobey God. If you write one thing down today, just write that. Always obey God. That's like... That's ground zero for learning anything and walking in a relationship that's pleasing and honoring to God. But that's not what Saul does. And so Samuel has to come back and he has to say, man, listen, you messed up. You messed up and God has now rejected you as king. You don't get to be the king anymore. And Saul tries to make excuses and give all sorts of reasons for why he didn't obey God. And in fact, a part of what he was supposed to do was killing a king. And Samuel, in his old age, he's like, okay, fine, I'll go do it. And Samuel goes and does it. And chapter 15 ends with Samuel just grieved over all of this. He's completely grieved over the state of the nation. He's grieved over the disobedience of the king. This person who he thought was going to be a great leader has completely let him down. You ever feel like that? grieved over the state of the nation, looking around at the people you thought you could look up to, hoped that you could trust in, and realizing they're letting you down? Well, Samuel is a man of conviction. He's a man of conviction amidst compromise, but now he sits there with uncertainty all around him. And he gets pretty sad. uh, sad. And he gets really upset, actually, if you look at the end of chapter 15, in verse 35, you can see there that Samuel grieved over Saul. He's grieving what's going on. Is this depression? Maybe. Is it anxiety? For sure. Is a lot of worry and stress? Yeah. They've all quickly come and set in on his life. Now, it doesn't take a lot for you and I to get to that place, too. The weight of things that are going on around us, the uncertainty for our future, 
worry, anxiety build in our minds. Maybe it's over relationship issues. Maybe it's over joblessness. Maybe it's over the health of a family member or the salvation of a loved one, the future of our kids or our country. And it all leads to this uncertainty and hopelessness. But listen, my friends, uncertainty. Uncertainty is a human problem that God does not have. Uncertainty is a human problem that God does not have. God enters the story here, chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. Now just pause there for a minute. God comes along. He speaks to Samuel. He comes into his hopeless situation and he brings hope. Samuel doesn't know what's going on. He's completely uncertain about the future, but uncertainty is a human problem that God does not have. Yes, this passage is about uh, Saul's rival being anointed and his, by his adversary Samuel. Yes, it's about the beginning of a kingdom which would culminate in the birth of the king of kings. You know that story, Luke 2. But it's mostly a portrait of God's infinite and effortless superiority over all things human. God brings hope to hopelessness. What is uncertain to man is not uncertain to God. He doesn't have any uncertainties. But Samuel here, he's still sitting in this. You and I, we still sit in these moments where we're uncertain, where we're afraid, where we're worried. But come back to this truth about God. He knows. He is certain of all that will happen. And then you just pause and you put the gospel on that, the truth that while you and I were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Him who loved us enough that he would not even spare his own son sends him to die on a cross so that if you and I put our faith and trust in him, we can be forgiven of our sin. That's who loves us. That's how much he loves us. And he's certain and he knows and he is sovereign and in control of all things. Enter hope. Hopelessness, bye bye there's the door. No need for you anymore because there is no uncertainty with the one who's in charge. I have peace with him. There is hope for my hopelessness. And so, so what do we do? Samuel is called to do some things here, to, to do some practical things. And these are some things that you and I can do in our uncertainty, in our moments of hopelessness. There's opportunity for us to do these things too. And I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. The first one is this. we got to go where God leads. We need to go where God leads. God comes into Samuel's life here again in verse 1, and he says, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn and go. He wants him to just go. I'll explain this more in a second. I will send you to Jesse, to the Bethlehemite. Listen to this. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. God comes along and says, listen, you are in a bad place. I don't want you to stay there anymore. You have to leave. This place of grieving, this place of hopelessness, this place of being overwhelmed by the anxiety of all that you see and sin, I want you to move away from there. God doesn't want us to be in places of sin. And so he comes along and he says, listen, you guys picked a king. That didn't work out so good. Now I'm going to show you my pick. And you're going to have to go. You're going to have to leave this place where you thought things were working out. And you're going to go to this place where I am commanding you. Verse 2. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. 
Remember 15, chapter 15 when he had to tell him you can't be king anymore? There's no doubt that Saul had spies and people watching over Samuel to figure out what's he doing. He told me I can't be king anymore. He's the prophet. He's the head priest. He's going to be the guy who knows what's going on next. And so Saul's, Samuel's a little worried. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you, how you shall do, what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him who I desire. Now, it's interesting with all that's gone on in Samuel's life that now at this moment, he seems really scared, doesn't he? He's like, he's super freaked out. He's worried about what's going to happen. Like the Lord has provided for him this far. The Lord will continue to provide for him. And you and I, we know the end of the story. So we're like, come on, man, you don't need to worry that much. But we get in that same place all the time, right? Matthew Henry wrote, Samuel his faith was not so strong as one would have expected, else he would not have thus feared the rage of Saul. Would not he that sent him protect him and bear him out? But the best men are not perfect in their faith, nor will fear be completely cast out this side of heaven. Samuel's afraid. Samuel's worried. Samuel is anxious. Samuel is uncertain. And so are we so often. But what does he do? He obeys. Saul, one chapter earlier, failed to obey. God had a command. God told him to do something. This is what I want you to do. And he disobeyed. Now, in chapter 15, verse 22, Saul tries to make an excuse. And, and Samuel interjects, and you can, you can see it there, and, and Samuel says, to obey is better than sacrifice. God cares about our obedience, God cares about our obedience. And so Samuel, we learned these things about him last week. Quick review from last week's message. He was a man of integrity, of certainty, of purity, of faithfulness. And so now what does he do? When things get tough, he knows, I need to obey. I need to go. Verse 4. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? Now, it was not very common for him to be in this area. So these guys are kind of like, what's going on? We're a little bit worried. Why have you come? Also, they no doubt had got like on Twitter the down low to know that Saul and Samuel are at odds right now, and they're like, we don't really want any part of this in our small town. Maybe you should move along if you're not bringing peace here. Verse 5, and he said, peaceably, peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to, me, uh, to, the, come to the sacrifice with me. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice because God has a plan. God always has a plan. Hopelessness, you can leave. God has a plan. Samuel, willing to obey, going where God leads. Now, that means no longer staying where God didn't want him to be. Often we're like, God, where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to go? And he's like, I, let's just start with leaving this place where you're not supposed to be anymore. Step out in faith and trust me with this obedience. Are you okay with God's plan? Saul wasn't. Saul was afraid. Saul looked at the plan and he said, I think I know better. I think I can come up with a better plan. I can't see how your plan will make sense in the end, God. He didn't have to see. God is over this plan. 
He doesn't have to be certain about the end because God is certain about the end. We get in that spot too, right? Where we sit here and we're like, God, I'm, I don't see how that will be so hard. I can't give that up. And we're unwilling to leave this place to go somewhere where we don't even know yet. Now, Samuel obeys, and he goes where God leads, which means he has to leave some things behind. He has to leave behind. If you go back to verse 1 of chapter 16 and the last verse of 15, he has to leave this grieving behind. I noticed that no one came in here today um, carrying a large bag of garbage, which we really appreciate that as a church staff. That's just super helpful because if it broke open and spilled, that would be really gross. Um, but you didn't come in here carrying a bag of garbage, right? All of the waste, all of the rubbish, all of the things that you don't need from this past week. You didn't throw it in a bag this morning and think, hey, I'm just going to take that to church with me. And you're like, no, why would I do that? That would be crazy to carry around all of those things. I don't need those things anymore. They're garbage. But you and I do this spiritually all the time. And the Lord is saying, those things are not to be in your presence anymore. You're to leave those things behind. How are we to pick up what God has for us if we won't put down what we're not supposed to hold on to? How can we go to the place where he wants us to go when we won't get up and leave? We stay with our feet stuck in sin. We're unwilling to walk away. We're unwilling to repent so often. Jim Simbola says, we want a different result with no change, and then we blame God. God, what's going on here? This isn't how I wanted this to turn out. And God's like, yeah, I need you to step out in faith. I want you to move. I don't want you to stay there anymore. I want you to go, but I don't know where. I, that, that's okay. Uncertainty is not a problem God has. And so he's calling us, he's calling Samuel here to step out in faith and to move, to go. Now, this action is not easy. It takes faith. It takes rejecting where we were. It takes rejecting the sin. It takes rejecting the grieving and the anxiety and, and, and these things that were pulling us away. Now, can we just do that all on our own strength? Absolutely not. We can't do it on our own. We need help. We need God's help. And we're going to get to that more. But it starts with this. If, if you want to go where God wants you to be, then you've got to go. You've got to leave where you've been. How many times... Do we sit there and we think, you know, I wish I knew God's word better, but we don't read it? I wish I was more fired up for the Lord, but we're content to be apathetic? How often do we sit there and think, man, I wish the Lord would just, he would just intervene in this situation and answer the prayers I haven't ever prayed? Like, come on. And I do this too. I don't want to have this guilt of sin anymore. But I willingly put myself in a place where I know I'm going to sin? God's like, no! Go! Leave that. Step away. I read this quote this week. I love it. It's been impacting my heart so much. Why do we grieve over what God has rejected? So often, things in our lives that we know God is not pleased with. God is not okay with that behavior, with that attitude, with those words, with that relationship, with that addiction, with that vice. And the thought of leaving those, we grieve it. We grieve what Jesus died on the cross for. He loves us enough to remove it from our lives. 
Why do we grieve over what God has rejected? It's hurting ourselves. It's destructive. And so the word isn't used here, but essentially what Samuel has to do is he has to turn from going one way to the other way, which is repentance. He has to repent. He can't stay where he was anymore. God is calling him to move. God is calling some of you to move this morning. God's been doing this work in my heart and revealing these things in my life, habits, thought processes, things that are not pleasing to God. What is God calling you to move from this morning? What are you currently grieving over that you know God is not pleased with? That you know needs to go from your life? God is saying, trust me. I know you can't see the end yet, but there is no hopelessness with God. There is no uncertainty with me, he says to you this morning. Take comfort, have peace, and go where I'm going to lead you. Samuel does this. Samuel does this. Saul didn't do that. Samuel does this because he knows God is in control. He knows he can have hope in God. So let's get back to our story. They're there. They're having this sacrifice. God has provided for himself a king. We saw that in verse 1, verse 6. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. This is one of Jesse's sons, the firstborn. But the Lord said to him, Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Which leads us to our second point. We go from hopeless to hopeful when we see what God sees. Point two, we need to see what God sees. Now maybe you're thinking, well, how do I completely see what God sees? Okay, I'll help you understand that in just a second. But I want you just to notice verse seven for a moment. Because this is one of the most important statements in all of Scripture regarding divine concern over human capacity. God is not concerned about what we bring to the table. He brings more than enough for us. God is not concerned about our strengths or our ability. He can empower and equip and by his spirit carry and strengthen and sustain us far more than we can imagine. The Lord sees not as man sees. Just let that phrase, the Lord sees, not as man sees, wash over your uncertainty this morning. The Lord sees, not as man sees. Let that phrase wash over the uncertainty of your job. The Lord sees, not as man sees. Let that phrase wash over that relationship. The Lord sees, not as man sees. Let that phrase wash over your children, your loved ones who don't know Jesus yet. The Lord sees, not as man sees. That situation that's got you totally freaked out, grieving, concerned, the Lord sees, not as man sees. Have peace. Hopelessness go away. Hope, come on in, because the Lord sees, not as man sees. <laughs> this is his, I don't know if this is a word, godness at work. This is him being God. He knows. He knows, and that brings peace. That brings comfort to us. We can tell what men look like, but he can tell who they are. So, Samuel here, he's learning this lesson. He's learning this lesson that many of us know, but even myself, and I've been studying this for a couple weeks now, I need to hear this again today, and that is this. What we see is not all there is. We know that. 
you've heard me say this, and maybe if you've been coming to our church for very long or known and loved Jesus for a long time, you know God is in control, you know God is sovereign, but you need to be reminded again, hey, when it comes to this situation, I don't have the complete picture here. I only have part of it. God has all of it. The Lord sees not as we see. Again, Saul thought he could figure it out. He couldn't. God could see bigger. God could see the bigger picture. God see what needed to happen, and then he disobeyed. Samuel here now, he's getting a glimpse. He's beginning to understand that God sees not as he sees. Verse 8, then Jesse came, uh, called Abinadab, another one of his sons, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Verse 9, then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Now Samuel looks at these guys, and if this is up to Samuel, no doubt at this point, you know, he's sitting back and he's like, Jesse, my man, you've got some good-looking sons here. I think one of them could be a great king someday. Like, bring them on by. And the Lord's like, no, 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 no. What's Samuel thinking at this point, Right? Like, really? That guy is super tall and really muscular and seems pretty smart and pretty good looking. Well, that guy's not as tall, not as smart, and not as, and, you know, I don't know if they like range in their appearance or anything, but he's kind of going through and it's like, surely it's this one. It's got to be this guy. And God's like, no. Samuel's just kind of like, I, I don't know what to tell you, Jesse. We'll get to that in just a second. But this was all because Samuel's perspective is limited. His perspective is limited, and so is ours, because we don't see as God sees. Many years later, in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9, David is speaking to his son Solomon. And he says this, he says, My son, know the God of our fathers and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. The Lord knows. God knows. He is in control. All hearts, every plan, every thought. That difficult relationship you're in, it's covered under this. That situation at work, it's covered under this. The future, it's covered under this. Even your thoughts, your doubts, right now, the Lord knows. And so the challenge for us then is to be able to step back and try and see more of the picture. Except I just said that this is his godness at work and we are not God. And so how do we do this? Well, this is where faith plays a huge part. This is where trusting God plays a huge pivotal role in our lives. This is where we will willingly endure and sit in uncertainty and hopelessness, knowing that it is not uncertain to him and there is hope in him in the end. We are willing to be there because we know he loves us. We're willing to be there. We're willing to go on. We're willing to trust God no matter what. Would we like to be able to say, oh, now I know why that happened? Of course we would. Sometimes we get to know. I have a, a friend when I was in high school. He was, we were 17. He was a year older than me. He was 17. I was 16. And he passed away in a car accident. He passed away in a car accident. Tragically, horrible loss to the family. 
decades go by of parents grieving, seeking to be faithful. Right after my friend had passed away, his parents set up a, um, a golf tournament in remembrance of him. He went to a specific camp. Well, a kid gets sponsored to go to camp because of the golf tournament. That kid's name was Ted Duncan. If you know Ted Duncan, he is a pastor of one of our church plants. And I got to tell you, I was there a few weeks after my friend's family started attending Ted's church. And the Lord just kind of brought some of those things together. And, and I remember Mr. Hooten saying, it hasn't taken away the pain, but I can see that God was in control of all of it. And I remember standing there in the lobby of Ted's church and my eyes were just like filling with tears as I see this peace come over this man. He had to wait decades for that. We don't always get to know this side of heaven. But there's an answer. And you might not get to hear the answer until you stand before God face to face and he can explain it all to you. And with full, complete, eternal perspective then, will you grasp it and understand it? But until that time comes, we need to seek to see what he sees or at least recognize he sees what we can't see and be okay with that. This is what walking by faith is. It's obedience with an unknown outcome. Samuel walks by faith. He doesn't know what the outcome is going to be, but he knows he is trusting in the one who sees it all, who's in complete control, who's over all of it. So what do we do? We strive. We strive to press on. We strive to, in faith, grow in our knowledge and our love of God. This is why reading God's word is so vital for us, because we get in God's word, and, and, and it reveals his character to us. And so although we may not know all the minutia of the situation and how everything will play out, we understand better who's in charge of it. So maybe you're here this morning and you're like, I'm having a hard time seeing what God's seeing in my situation. I'm having a hard time building faith and surviving and, 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 and getting through this. Hopelessness is overwhelming my hope. Okay, well, feed the hope fire with God's word. On our website, as Pastor Craig mentioned in the announcements at the beginning and in our lobby today, we have resources to help you grow in your knowledge of God by getting in God's word. Don't sit back in fear, in worry, in anxiety, in uncertainty, completely hopeless. You don't have to stay there. Because uncertainty is a human problem that God does not have. And there is hope for our hopelessness in his perfect sovereignty, in his complete love and his compassion for us. Our situations. What's, what's your verse one? What's your, what's your thing that you're grieving? That you sit there and, you're, and, and it's just so heavy on your heart. It might seem hopeless. It's not. I'm so uncertain. That's okay. He's not. I'm so afraid. You don't need to be. Because him who's in charge loves you so much. Trust God's plan. By this point, Samuel, no doubt, it's beginning to click. He's be it's beginning to click, and he's like, okay, I get it, God. 
You're doing something I don't completely understand here. And I, and I bet by the time we get to the last of these seven sons that go by, and he's like, God has not chosen any of these. And I don't know if he kind of sits back, has a piece of bread or something. I don't know. He's just kind of sitting there, and he's looking at this, and it's like, I'm supposed to come here to anoint somebody, and it's none of these guys. But the Lord sees not as man sees. How am I supposed to see that? I don't. It's just, it's things, the gears are beginning to move. And so, verse 11, then Samuel said to Jesse, are these, are these all your sons? And he said, well, there's the, remains the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. <laughs> and you can imagine just, in my mind, Samuel throws his arms up and he's just like, are you kidding me? Are you joking, Jesse? And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him. We will not sit down until he comes here. Now, I don't know if that's just like a respect thing or an anxious thing where he's like excited and he's like, nobody sit down. This is great. He's coming. This guy's coming. And they're all like, yeah, we know him. <laughs> We've seen him. He doesn't look as good as us. Like you should pick one of us. This, this is kind of what's, what's going on in this situation here. This kid then arrives. This kid his name's David. You might have heard of him. He wrote most of the Psalms. Verse 12, and he sent and brought him. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. Now I just want to just clarify, that's there for us. That's there for us, all right? We, we've already learned that none of these external attributes are swaying God's opinion of him at all, all right? This is, this is here for us. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And I wonder if Samuel has a moment where he's like kind of anxious, like, all right, they're bringing somebody in. They're, this is the other brother who wasn't even respected enough to be, like, I'm, I'm a pretty big deal prophet here, hosting a big barbecue, a sacrifice, and you didn't bring one of your family members. Like, I guess he's really on the outside he smells like sheep. He's pretty dirty. He was likely at this point somewhere between the ages of 10 and 14 years old. He's just a kid. And then, the God, and then God says, this is him. And I wonder if as Samuel takes the horn and he takes the cork out of it, gets ready to anoint him, he's like, are you sure, Lord? This guy is going to be the king? I don't mean to judge, but he's got beautiful eyes. All right. And so he anoints him, verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose and went to Ramah. Here's the important lesson here. Samuel just obeyed God. He did what God says. This is point number three. Do what God says. He obeyed. Is this kind of scary to think about? Uh, this is the guy that I'm supposed to anoint to be the next king. Are you sure, God? You ever have one of those situations where you look at your life and you're like, this is what you want me to do, God? This is how you're providing for me right now? This is what my future's gonna look like? Are you sure? Go back to verse seven. The Lord sees, not as man sees. God knows. And listen, in Samuel's obedience here, something massive happens because everything begins to change then for the nation. So it's not just, there's this trickle-down effect. 
that God is using in his sovereign plan over not just Samuel's life and not just David's life, but everyone who is part of the kingdom. And so God is calling us in our lives. Listen, I want you to obey. Just obey. I have a big plan going on. I have more understanding of the circumstances than you can imagine. You cannot see all of it. Your heart and my heart and our sinful perspectives, they distort all of it. And so God says, listen, I want you to leave that sin behind. I want you to trust me with what's going on. And I want you to do what I'm telling you to do. And as you do, I will take care of you. And as you do, I will provide for you. And God provides for the nation, the nation of Israel. And they now have a king who is a man after God's own heart. He's a faithful warrior. He is a patient king. They would have a humble king. They would have a king who even was not perfect. We know that for sure but responded well to correction. They would have a king who would begin the family line that would set forth all that needed to happen for the king of kings to come. This is a major moment in the history of the nation of Israel here. This is one of those moments where later people look back and they're like, do you know where you were? Do you remember where you were when you heard David was anointed king? You have those moments? Little moments in history, some things that like pop out to you where you're like, yeah, I remember, I remember like 9-11. I remember where I was. Do you remember? This is one of those moments. This is one of those moments, though, that not just changes a country, that changes hope for the world. Because through David, through this man, God would send his son Jesus. He would be the ultimate king who would come. David was a pretty great king. But Jesus is a perfect king. The perfect king who loves us so much that he would lay down his life for us. Samuel obeys. He does what God says. He anoints this young kid. And Samuel finishes well. He does what God commanded. By faith, he trusts God. Just 12 verses ago, he sat there grieving, hopeless uncertain, and now filled with hope, filled with certainty, resting in God's promises, knowing that God has his hand on this young man, knowing that God has, by his spirit, dwelt upon, rushed upon, it says there in verse 13. That's awesome. And, and you think about David then for the rest of his life, as he knows that God is in control, by God's spirit coming and, and, and dwelling on him, like that changes everything. It changes everything when you know God's love and his care. It changes the way, I wrote this down, it changes the way you look at lions, bears, and giants. It just changes everything because you know God's in control. And so hopelessness begins to melt away because you have a hope that comes from knowing you are going where God wants you to go. You are leaving what God does not want you to have in your life anymore. And although you may not see it all, you are willing to trust him. You are willing to obey him. You are willing to go after those things that, that we cannot completely see or completely fathom sometimes, but we know we serve the one who does see. And then as we go this way, he says, listen, I love you and here's what I want you to do. 
And what I want you to do is going to be best. No doubt, as I say this, some of you, as the Spirit moves in your life, as he has done in my this week, there are things that you know God is saying, here's what I want you to do. Or maybe what I want you to not do anymore. And God's saying it's time for change. It's time for repentance. It's time for faith. It's time for obedience, not knowing what the outcome will be. Now maybe you sit here and you go, well, it's easy for David. Spirit rushed upon him and this big moment with his brothers. And like, that's pretty cool. You're not going to forget that kind of thing. I wish we had a reminder. Well, we do. God has given us the Lord's Supper. He's given us the Lord's Supper as this reminder for us. Now, daily, we should be reminding ourselves of the love of Jesus. Daily, in our encounters with God and his word, and as we pray, we should be reminding ourselves of the truth of God's love and his care and his compassion for us that would give us strength to follow where he leads us to go, to understand that he sees, and to be willing to do what he says. He says, 